Hey, fat fish heads, it's time for another edition of the hottest new podcast on all platforms, Fat Fish. Sit back and strap yourself in for the wildest ride on the open seas. Now, flap your fins for the fabulous Fat Fish Brothers, Eric Fish Snyder and Brad Grunny Grunberg. A.K.A. Snacks. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you, Dave Linden. Show number 28. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing good, my friend. How are you? I'm feeling good, buddy. I'm feeling good. We have, All right? Uh, we have, I feel great, man. Every time I see you, I feel great. And uh, today we have a very, very special guest. Uh, he's an old friend and uh, just a true mensch and a talent beyond belief. Uh, Mr. John Kassir is here. Oh, boy. And there he is. Oh, my. <laughs> the voice of the Crypt Keeper from Tales from the Crypt. John, thank you for being here, brother. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Oh my God. You know, just so you know, Eric, uh, Fish, uh, Eric, uh, do I call you Eric Fish? Uh, do I call you the fish? <laughs> do I call you scales? Uh, what do we? Um, well, Brad calls, Brad calls me schmuck. A schmuck <laughs> on this high holy day. And people, I, you know, I'm not a Jew, but I play one on TV constantly. <laughs> you do. But uh, just so you know, I've never met Brad. He's been stalking me for years, and I finally agreed. He's, you know, he thinks I know him. No, I'm just kidding, obviously. But, uh, uh, boy. Yeah, John how many years, Brad? I want to tell everybody how we met. John and I met way back <laughs> in the day on a show called The Amanda Show. Amanda Biles, you know, he played her father, and I played the, believe it or not, Fish, a... Hot dog vendor, yes. <laughs> so I come to the set, and I go, where's my dressing room? My dressing room was in Las Vegas. I go, I'm not going there. So John goes, hey, puts his arm around me, goes, why don't you use my dressing room? Share it with me. I go, what? You're the star of the show. I shared the dressing room with John Kassir. Is how, how nice is that? He didn't want me to walk so far. He didn't want me to go to Vegas, change my clothes, and come back. So that's how we met, and we've been friends ever since. And uh, it's been a, it's a wonderful tryst. And uh, John, I love you, buddy. Thank you. Uh, this has been fantastic. And John is the voice of many, many, many of your favorite characters. And John, could you tell us how it all started way back in the day? I think you're from Baltimore, correct? Uh, I am. <laughs> there it is. The Ravens. Look, fish. The Ravens. I know he's a Raider fan. He loves the ah uh, boo. Uh, yeah, you know they they sucked yesterday. Just just to throw that in there. But um, <clears throat> no, they're a great team. I'm uh, I grew up on the Colts, but uh, you know, as a kid, and then of course they got up in the middle of the night and left. I don't know how that happens, actually. They put it in a, they said they, they packed the team you know, as a kid you, to hear that they go, well, they packed everything in a, in a couple of Mack trucks and they took off in the middle of the night with it. And you're like, 
they made the players get in a Mack truck, you know, and you're like, as a kid, you're sitting there going, how did they do that? Do the players have something to say about that? They didn't want to get in a truck. It's like, no, they, they took their equipment. They're going to make like another team wear their equipment. I mean, what, you know, anyway, I didn't really understand it. And then of course, you know, yesterday we got beat by the Colts. So what are you going to say? Um, but uh, yeah, I grew up in Baltimore. And, uh, you know, I've been an actor since I was a kid. I, I got involved in all the shows and the uh, plays and everything as a kid. I used to do circuses out of my basement for the other kids, you know, charge a penny. And they charge five cents for the penny candy, you know, kind of like they do at the movie theater, make all their money on candy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> enterprising even back then um and uh you know continued to study it got got my degree in theater got my first off-broadway show which paid 175 dollars a week so found out really quickly how how uh poorly paid you are in the theater even in new york and um so i started doing stuff like street performing in front of the metropolitan museum and that kind of stuff and and uh, doing a little bit of, uh, actually hadn't really done much in the way of stand-up comedy. I'd done sketch comedy for a number of years with uh, a Baltimore-born comedy group called Animal Crackers uh, toward the world for the USO and that kind of thing. We had quite a lot of success as a uh, as a small uh, improv group. And then I here's one of my first here's one of my first things that uh, I had as a kid. There in the background, if you look over there, you see the little ventriloquist dummy. My, uh, when I was a kid, I used to um, remember. You remember when you were kids, they had uh, like your mom could drop you off somewhere while she shopped, and nobody'd arrest her. <laughs> you know, because I remember my mom dropping me off at the uh, at a place called the Toy Barn. The toy barn was, think Home Depot, but with toys, you know, and uh, next door was the grocery store. So she'd drop us off. We had five kids in my family. She'd drop us off while she went shopping. <laughs> Just like, you know, check out the toy store. And they used to have the ventriloquist dummies on the, on the shelf. And uh, I would climb up on, you know, these erector set type shelves and I'd hold the dummy and have them talk to people as you walk by, as they walk by. Oh my gosh. I was like, oh, I was, wasn't even five yet. I don't know. <laughs> On my fifth birthday, I woke up and my mom had got me when I was sitting on the end of my bed. So, you know, it was something that, uh, that I toyed around with from the time I was a little kid um, in terms of voices and characters and that kind of thing. So. You know, eventually making my way, uh, got an off-Broadway show called Three Guys Naked from the Waist Down. Do you remember that show, Brad? You know, yeah, well, I, could, I couldn't have played a part in that. Uh, it would be an embarrassment. Oh, but you could have. It was, uh, you know, because people thought it was like a gay review down in the village, but it was it was about stand-up comics. It was kind of the <laughs> metaphor of how, how a stand-up comic feels in front of the audience when they're bombing like naked from the waist down <laughs> and um my good now good buddy jerry colker uh wrote it uh and uh, michael rupert uh tony award winner uh for sweet charity and all these other, as an actor wrote the music and it was <clears throat> 
a wonderful hit off Broadway, you know, starring myself along with Scott Bakula and Jerry Colker, who wrote the wow. piece. And, um, and, uh, but I played, you know, kind of like the Andy Kaufman ish, uh, you know, stand up comic whose only real reality was through his stand up. And, uh, Scott played the, uh, the you know quintessential uh mc brilliantly i might add and jerry played the uh, angry comic like the guy who dropped out of harvard law to become a stand-up comic you know to, to have a soapbox to get up on and, <laughs> and fling his angry comedy they said and now uh phil coonan whose personality been described as the coral great coral reef uh please welcome you know kind of thing and yeah, it was uh, a hit was that oh no we wanted to know, I want to ask you a question. When you got to LA, did you do more voiceovers or did you do more acting? I know you started in New York. Completely acting. I mean, I didn't, I hadn't done any voiceovers. I mean, I did, I used to do the morning announcements with my buddy Fred in high school. Like everybody come to us and go, Hey, can you do like for our event? And they'd give us free tickets or whatever. But every morning we do, you know, the following morning announcement brought to you by a grant from the mobile corporation. You know, we do the whole thing and we'd have, you know, hey, John Poole, George Ringo, you're going to the Gymkhana troupe tonight. You know, oh, we'd imitate the teachers and that kind of stuff. So it's yeah. not like it wasn't in my blood to do voiceover work, but I had never really done any professional voiceover work until Tales from the Crypt. Um, I was uh, doing this play off Broadway that I was mentioning, and I got asked to do Star Search in its first season. And I was like, what is a singer? I said, I, I, this is a musical. You know, it was a musical about stand up. Think dream girls, but with stand up comics, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it was, everybody thought it was a stand up comic because I was playing this, you know, getting some really good reviews, playing this dark, you know, suicidal comedian. And so they asked me to do Star Search and, and I was like, you know, I can sing, but I can't, you know, Sam Harris was on the show at the time and he was killing it. And I was like, I can't sing like that guy. And they're like, no, no, no. We want you to come on as a stand-up comic. And I'm like, you know, I'm not really a stand-up comic, right? That's a part I'm playing in the show. They go, yeah, well, you can win a hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, fuck, have you seen my act? You know? <laughs> so. Hey, yeah, first, tell you something about John here. <laughs> you know, we know one thing: we have no game with the ladies. But with these voices and your talent, that must have been a chick magnet, Kasir. What do you think? <laughs> huh? You must have got a lot of ladies back in the day. <laughs> uh you know, I don't kiss and tell Johnny, but uh, <laughs> you know, Brad Grunny. Yeah, yeah. I you mean, know. you know, it's uh, you know some of the women. Uh, I you know, do, but I my do. my I have the most wonderful wife. Oh my God, world, Vanessa, so. his wife. I work with her on private practice in the Loop Group. She is one of the sweetest, nicest girls I've ever met. And I go, why in the fucking world are you with John Casir? I mean, and she's gorgeous. She is gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, please. I mean, it's not your personality. You must have a very large manhood downstairs. That's all I know. Because tripod, please. tripod was my uh, <laughs> tripod. Was, was my nickname in high school. You know. <laughs> oh hey, fish. You ask uh, John about his uh, your favorite role you've seen him in in First and Ten. Oh, go ahead, fish. Tell him. Why did uh, you? I, I want to talk about Debbie Does Dallas. 
Debbie does Dallas. I saw John and Debbie does Dallas, the remake. It was great. You know, it was, well, no, you know what, John, first of all, Don't start I'm going to word in edgewise. We have to be nice to Brad. Well, no, I'm joking. This is the worst holiday for Brad because he has to fast. So it'd be very nice. To oh, him, you know? There's donuts oh, in front of him. He's not yeah. eating right now. We've had a lot of we've had a lot of lunches John, over. I here. love yeah, first and ten. I love you, Zagreb. You were the plates kicker. I'm a football fan. All right. This is look at my oh, team in me back of me. We had a chance to beat the Steelers last night and help you. I was I was rooting for you. Suck. Just for, um, even talk more about for that first reason. and ten. He worked a double on um Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. Oh, he worked yeah. Marshall Teague. God. Marshall Teague was great in Roadhouse. All the Cass, OJ Simpson, talk about your role. Talk about first and ten. Yeah. Um, well, you know, because that, you know, going on Star Search. Um, Am I still there? Yeah, we're here. You're cutting out, but we're okay. You guys still there? Yeah, yeah. we're here. He's in Vegas. You know how that is, John. Boy, I know. This it's guy. It's the heat. It's yeah, a dry heat, but, you know. <laughs> he lost all his money last night on the Raiders. Oh boy, dry heat with dry humor. Um, but uh, you know, I was you know when I was talking about earlier about this show, I went on Star Search, and because I didn't uh, have any uh, material, I was doing all these characters and voices, and that's you know that kind of led to work to my voiceover work. But my first series that I jumped on was uh, was First in Ten on HBO and uh, uh, was a, was a, a fun time. <clears throat> you know, if there was anything else that I ever wanted to be besides an actor, it was uh, a football player. Really? Um, yeah. You know, I, I was uh, an athlete all through school. Uh, lacrosse was my, uh, was my, probably my best sport. Um, had some scholarships to play lacrosse. Uh, once I got out of high school, didn't use them because I was going into theater. Um, but um, I had I was on the the football team in high school. JV, it's 135 pound running back, and uh, but very fast. <clears throat> was a very fast runner, and um, I think I I practiced one, maybe two days with varsity. Uh, when I moved up and I uh, got my ass kicked and I was on the soccer field the next day <laughs> and I had never played soccer. We had like the, the, the state championship soccer team, you know, and I made the team because of my athleticism, but uh, mostly, you know, uh, sat the bench in, in that sport, but football, you know, I'd always wanted, if I had, you know, been a bigger kid, uh, you know, I might've, it might've been something that I had wanted to pursue. So being on first and 10 playing a football even though he was the kicker, not, you know, not a running back or anything. Um, I got to be on a show with, with my biggest football heroes. They had somebody on the show every week, um, you know, as well as great actors, you know, that was Delta Burke's first series. Um, that was uh, Chris Maloney was a quarterback on that show nice. from SVU. Uh, Jason nice. Begay, who was, who was on uh, Chicago, uh, cop you know uh chicago pd or chicago cop why do i can't remember the, the name of the title oh uh, yeah chicago pd i think is it pd do the same yeah. same as does chicago fire 
but uh, you know, as the as the the sergeant, uh, wonderful actor. Um, gosh, you know, I mean, uh, obviously we had the, the 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 comedy, which was me and Don Gibb and oh. uh, Tony Longo and uh, Prince Hughes and um, uh, Cliff. Uh, I mean, yeah, just an amazing group of people. And then, of course, we had OJ on the show, who is a producer and a uh, um, and an actor on the show, played the general manager, um, who was a really great boss to work with, actually, you know, I mean, uh, over the years. I came on, they brought me on to do two episodes, two episodes, beginning of the, of the second season. And uh, I, my first scene was shooting in a bar with uh, Sam Jones, who was the, playing the quarterback, you know, who we all know from... Uh, um, Flash Gordon and uh, and OJ and I had them laughing so hard. OJ was like, "We need to get this guy on the show all the time." <laughs> well, I wound up on the show in the next six years. Wow, regular. Wow. So, did you did you have to show that you could kick the ball, or did they have a stunt guy come in and uh, do all your uh, <laughs> your kicking? <laughs> all right, funny story. There was a whole progression to that. That's a really good question. Because when I went to the audition, I brought like a Nerf football with me and I wouldn't speak English to the cast and director or, or the producers and they were hysterical. And then they, I go, so I do the scene and then they go, now I kick, The guy goes, yeah, sure. Whatever. I take off my shoe. I use it as a T I the football into his Venetian blinds, and I'm like, okay, these guys think I'm nuts. There's just no way they're gonna hire me. Oh, oh, oh. I <laughs> meanwhile, love I, meanwhile, I wound up on the show for six years. But they brought in John Lee. John Lee was was oh, UCLA, um, UCLA, UCLA right? kicker at the time, and um, he was going to no, no. I'm sorry, he had come from UCLA and started playing for St. Louis, and. Um, you know, I mean, the guy had a leg and a half and he came in and showed me how to, you know, because I had played soccer and stuff, I had a really good foot. I could actually kick a 40 yard field goal, uh, not with 300 pound guys running at me, but for any of the stuff that, um, you know, any of the stuff where it was just me practicing or kicking or they were showing a close up of me kicking or kicking from behind, they could show me kick a ball, you know, through the uprights 40 yards. So. That was pretty good. You know, John helped me a lot in, in making it look legit in terms of my setup and the timing of how you would need to do it as they run down the clock and all this kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, I had to kick. I, I have a football that I that I was uh, going to get as many, you know, pro signatures on as possible. I wound up with just OJ's on it. It says, right. you know, to my good friend John Kassir, I have it. <laughs> I was going to give it to my brother to hold, to put in his trophy room, you know, some years ago. And then then the whole, uh, you know, Bronco scene took place and the whole thing, you know, um, with the uh, um, you never knives knew out. Your, <laughs> you never knew your boss would become a double murderer, you know. Uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, people like, oh, how did you see it in him? I was like, what do you see in a person that you would see that, you know, unless they unless they were on a regular basis threatening people or something. But um, but no, they. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, my brother was like, hey, where's my football? I go, I'm keeping it now. I'm going to keep it. 
now let me let me ask you i don't know where fish is but who cares because you know i you know i'm the show but uh take <laughs> us to take us back to when you got tales from the crypt as the crypt keeper you auditioned did you have to come in and do it who did you do it for how many auditions did you did it take to get the role all that good stuff because i have a lot of friends uh, who are in voiceover work, and uh, especially our uh, our announcer Dave Linden, he would love to know how you did it and uh, how you got the part. Um, well, you know, because I was already working for HBO on First and Ten, um, they thought of me. You know, called my my agents and said, "Hey, you know, can uh, John come down to Kevin Yeager's studio?" An audition. We need somebody who's, you know, funny. And since you've been doing stand-up comic, you know, by the way, after winning Star Search, I don't even know if, if if we ever got in there that I wound up winning Star Search. No, I didn't know. You, oh, you yeah. won Star Search. Oh yeah, I won a hundred thousand dollars, dude. Uh, I, I beat Simbad in the finals. I beat Rosie O'Donnell in the semifinals. You yes. Didn't know How did you not know this? I don't. I should know this. What's wrong with me? Well, I was I was leading up to that talking about, you know, uh, three guys naked and all that stuff and how they they came and asked me to be on the show. And I was, you know, and I went on because I had done sketch comedy and stuff. I would uh, and and because I didn't have an act, I would do like The Wizard of Oz in two and a half minutes. <laughs> you know, it's a twister. As cold and I must conquer, you know, th this kind of shit. And um, oh, what's them? What's them? That's the castle of the wicked witch. Oh, Dorothy's in that awful place. Oh, I hate to think of her in there, fellas. We've got to get her out. I got a plan how to get in there, and you're gonna lead us. All right, I'll go in here for Dorothy. Wicked witch and no wicked witch. Gods and no gods. It's just one thing I want you fellas to do. What's that? Talk me out of it. <laughs> you know. Oh my! And, Have you ever been institutionalized by your parents? Oh yes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Story for another day. Brad. Another show, yeah. Another oh, show, God. another day. Not on a holiday. Okay. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but um, oh. no, seriously, it 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 opened the door for me. Opening, um, they're like, you're gonna you're gonna open for Tom Jones in Vegas. They announced on the show and i'm like what I, I can't open for tom jones in vegas they go like why not i go i have no fucking act i've just been making this shit up every week i kept winning and i kept having to come up with another bit you know till eventually i had him like roll me out on a dolly as a three-in-one machine or uh, i did i did one one day i did an act where i did a, a send-up of of star search called john cassier's talent scouts with it with the contestant it was an inflatable love doll and I did all I like tape over her mouth. So when she sang, she went, oh, you know, kind of stuff. And I didn't expect to win at that point. I mean, I didn't expect to. I was already in the semifinal, uh, uh, you know, qualified for the semifinal. So I didn't expect to continue to win because I was flying back and forth doing that show and Three Guys Naked off Broadway. And, and I continued to win. So, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, that launched the whole thing with the voiceover thing. So they knew that I did voices in my act uh, at HBO. And they knew that, you know, they wanted an actor who could be funny in the way a stand-up could be, but understood the whole thing. And I was just thinking when they called, I go, oh my God, they're making that into a show. I collected those comic books as a kid. 
you know, it's controversial. You know, HBO, of course, had a limited membership, you know, at that time, unless people were stealing it on cable. But, um, you know, I I really didn't have, uh, uh, you know, any reservations about going in and doing it, but at the same time had no dreams of it being anything, you know, major. Um, so uh, I was just excited by the fact that they invited me down to Kevin Yeager's studio to see what he was doing and making the puppet. You know, if you don't know Kevin Yeager, Kevin yeah. also made Chucky and designed Freddy Krueger. I mean, he's, he's one of the top guys in the business and he made this animatronic puppet. And um, in fact, uh, at first they gave him like no budget, you know, as HBO didn't give, give you a lot of money to start with. And it was an expensive show to do. So somebody had, they had to come up with some extra money from the producers and all that. But um, he was using Chucky eyes because he had spare parts in his, in his uh studio and uh i think he thought originally that might be temporary but it it just brought so much you know character and panache to the uh to the uh crypt keeper that uh he kept it but i got to see him you know some of the versions of what he was working on down at his studio and there was some you know I think I remember Michael Winslow was there and Charles Flesher and a bunch of other people, but there was all these voice actors who everybody wanted this part, you know? Um, and I didn't even think about it because a, I wasn't in that, I wasn't in that uh, fraternity of voiceover actors yet, but um, you know, certainly was with the stand-up comics who were there auditioning and uh, they did a pre pre-read with you with a casting director and then they brought you in to Kevin's studio and Kevin was, had a little cassette player, uh, like a boom box with a cassette recorder on it and a little mic, a little lav mic that you were recording into. And um, he's sitting there like this and I can tell he's just been listening all day. It oh, just baby. wasn't working. And I start doing that voice and he's like, oh yeah. And he starts laughing and I start laughing. I'm like, great. The Crypt Keeper laughs at his own jokes, you know, I'll just keep going with that, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm doing it for, he had me like the next day going in and auditioning for Joel Silver and Richard Donner. Wow. Uh, you know, obviously the, at that time, especially the biggest guys in the business. And, wow. um, and they were like, uh, hey, we'll see you on the set. You know, and of course, as a young actor, you're sitting there going, yeah, I'll believe that when they're paying me, you know. Um, yeah. Did so, you? So when you, when you, what was the, when you read for Joel Silver and Dick Donner, mm -hmm. it, was there one thing that you did? Was it, it was laughing at your own joke, right? And did you get to improv or was this off script? Did you just go? Oh, no, they just gave me some puns to say. And I did, I made up all the rest, uh, you know, uh, for that, you know, I mean, we had great writers that wrote all the Crypt Keeper sequences and stuff. But I mean, over the years I had to improvise conversations on radio broadcasts, you know, every season we'd have, they'd set me up for 50, 60, uh, radio interviews at drive time, you know, like Mark and Brian or, or some of these guys, you know, uh, in the morning, uh, over two days, I would do all these and I would, they would, they wouldn't be interviewing me. They'd be interviewing the Crypt Keeper. And so I would have to, oh. you know, like, I'd be like, as I was thinking this stuff and they were writing to me, I'd be jotting down pun after pun and stuff that we had done on the show and, you know, all this stuff. And, 
you know, so over the years, you know, you know, got to one thing, John, I, I, you know, I've, I used to do some, uh, you know, work in some of the clubs in Hollywood. Uh, you know, a lot of people know that I worked at the Hollywood Tropicana female mud wrestling and, you know, I've dabbled yeah. and dabbled. Johnny and cocktails. Know, yeah. You know, Johnny cocktails. And you know, one thing about it, you, you married the most beautiful girl in the world, but you know, during your younger day, I wonder like this one girl tell me, you know, Hey baby, you know, I'm a queen on the streets, but I'm a freak in the sheets. So I want to ask you a question, sir. Okay. Wait a minute. That's you talking or the girl that you? That was aware? the girl talking to me. Yeah. She was telling, <laughs> you know, she was telling me how how special she was. So I'm wondering when you were dating some of these younger ladies, you know, during your younger day, you would get between the sheets, and you know, you you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Did you ever go to the Crypt Keeper? That's what Have I, I got a bone for you. <laughs> I, I don't remember that. Oh, you know what? I, it was, I, you somewhere. know, there was a lot of really wonderful, colorful ladies over the years that I um, dated. Every single one of them was special and wonderful, and um, not all of them are even with us anymore. But uh, sadly, but, um, so the, you know, keeper, you went to the crib keeper. So what you're saying to our audience today is while you were making love to these ladies, you all of a sudden morphed into the crib keeper. Give me a little bit more of that. That's what I wanted to hear. They were not, they were that that's not true, but we'll make, well, I'll go with it. For go, with it go with it. <laughs> I love a ghoul who'll give you head and then let you keep it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 Johnny, yes. Oh, my goodness, this is crazy. Uh, no one ever asked you that question, right? No, actually. <laughs> I mean, no, no, people did. It was like, did you ever, you know, yeah. romance women with the Crypt Keeper voice? You know, I, I, you know, there were, there were, uh, I mean, I didn't, you know, I never really dated fans. So that, I mean, okay. it wasn't like, can you do the Crypt Keeper voice for me? I'll, you know, I'll, uh, you know, I'll do that. Whatever you just said, if you, you know, <laughs> um, no, I mean, uh, you know, in er, uh, early on, most of the time, uh, I mean, yeah, I was always the kind of guy that was looking for a relationship, somebody who I could really have as a partner. I mean, I was a busy, busy person once I got, established i mean when you're a young actor in new york you know and you're not making any money you don't really date a lot because you don't really have anything to bring to the table you know it's like oh let's go out to dinner i don't have any money to take you out to dinner <laughs> <laughs> i hid some money in my apartment we can go have a slice downstairs you know <laughs> um, let's see i made about 600 dollars street performing last week no, we can go out to dinner somewhere, <laughs> you know. But um, you know what's interesting about you? I feel that you've just kind of winged your career. You know what I mean? Like for instance, like thrown it away. You know, as an actor, we're taught just throw it away. Don't think too much about it, and you know you'll 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 talk yourself out of your audition. But you just seem like the guy because you started as a young performer for your friends you just kind of wing what you do it's wonderful i just love it i mean 
Oh, thanks. You know, I mean, it's obviously very hard work. You know, you again, if you're, you know, in New York, I started, I mean, I, I moved to New York to do my first off-Broadway show. I got an off-Broadway show. It was offered to me by uh, Paul Berman, who was the head of the theater department where I studied at Towson University, which is now Towson University of Baltimore. And um, he was really wonderful. He'd come out of the group theater from years ago. He would bring in, you know, amazing playwrights and, uh, you know, and was uh, invited to direct uh, two world premieres by Eugene Ionesco, you know, who did Rhinoceros and all these really great plays and of the absurd, uh, which was a huge honor for him. He did one at the university and then it was, they were doing one at the Guggenheim Museum in New York as an off-Broadway production in the Frank Lloyd Wright Theater there. And, you know, so he offered me a part in that and I moved to New York based on that. And like I said, it paid 175 bucks a week. I was living in a, in a one bedroom apartment with three other people, um, in order to be there and do that. Um, so, you know, making a living is really, you know, very, very hard at that point. And you feel like you're so far from ever having a professional career, you know? Um, I mean, literally my idea of it was, is that whatever I did, I wanted to to continue to perform and make my money performing, whether it was street performing, whether it was, you know, if somebody asked me to come, you know, do mime at their <coughs> birthday party, I would do it because it was performing. I did singing balloonograms because a friend of mine had a business doing that. You know, I had a helium tank in my, you know, I spent most of the time going, all right, guys, come on over. Let's get high and hang out here in New York. You know, um, but uh, I remember my my first balloon singing balloonogram was to Leroy Neiman, you know the artist who did all the sports uh, yeah, art yeah. and the and the Playboy Bunny in the little uh, joke uh, part of the uh, Playboy and you know I mean he had an, like one of the most amazing apartments you'd ever seen at the, at the Hotel Des Artistes in in New York. And I remember auditioning, I mean, coming in to deliver him a balloonogram and he was so tall. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, I think they probably told him we weren't supposed to talk. We were supposed to come in and do mime or, you know, but I, I had been, I, I started a whole conversation with him, but I uh, probably got in trouble for it too. But, um, you know, I wanted to make my living as a performer and. I mean, you know, you imagine yourself to be, go down one avenue. And it's not that I just threw it away. It's that I listened to, to the paths that were offered to me. And, you know, you know, the Robert Frost poem, two roads diverged in a wood and I took the path less traveled and that's made all the difference. You know, of course that path, you need a machete because it's also overgrown, but yeah. you know, um, who have you worked, who haven't you worked? You've had an incredible career. You've done so much. Who and what would you like to do before it all, you know, comes to an end? You retire one day. Is there somebody you want to work with, an actor or a performer? Oh, or... Gosh, is that a good question? Besides, it's me. a tough one. It's a tough one. I mean, I uh, obviously, I mean, I, my first, my first network series was with Sid Caesar. People oh, are like, wow. Sid Caesar, was he alive when you were that age? I was like, yeah. It was in his seventies and still extremely funny. And they did like, kind of like a Broadway Danny Rose uh, kind of series. And I played the young comic hanging out with the older comics and it was Sid Caesar and 
Jan Murray and and um, wow, uh, you know uh, 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 Maurice Hines, you know uh, the Hines brothers and Arlene Galanka and uh, gosh, who uh, Guy Marks, who was you know um, look him up, you, you you'll go oh that guy, uh, but. You know, and I played the young and Annie Golden, you know, from uh, I mean, she's been in all kinds of stuff recently. Orange is the New Black and everything, but was at the time was uh, a darling on Broadway doing leader of the pack and, and wonderful shows. And we were the two young, young people on the show who were you know being mentored by these uh, older actor, you know, comics and stuff. And so, you know, from there, my whole career was working with some of the most amazing people. I remember auditioning for Carol Burnett in, uh, for her, her last, uh, sketch show that she had done, um, which didn't, didn't really do very well. I, I, I don't think she had, she didn't, she didn't find her, uh, her, um, you know, Tim Conway and, and Harvey Corman, uh, during that, during that setup. But I remember going in and auditioning for her, and I got the same thing. I, you know, at the time, you know, you're sitting there going, well, they want to see the best you can do, but they don't necessarily want to see the best you can do. They want to know that you can play second banana, third banana and that kind of stuff too, you know? And um, so I remember going in and auditioning for doing my Wizard of Oz bit for, for uh, Carol Burnett in this little office. And she was like, oh my God, you should have your own show. And of course she didn't <laughs> hire me. And you're like, oh. I blew it. You know, I, 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 you know, played too many of my cards, you know, uh, but, um, you know, so I did have a lot of opportunities with a lot of famous oh my and, and some of my heroes. I remember doing a, um, CSI, uh, uh, NCIS, um, episode and I was supposed to be an old and one, uh, one of Robert Wagner's oldest and best friends. And it was just so much fun hanging out with Robert Wagner, who I'd grown up watching on TV. And he was still so handsome and also smart and funny. And, and he just told me story after story. And I was like, oh, yeah, Jill's out there, you know, probably trying to, you know, pick up young guys in Beverly Hills. Of course, he was kidding, you know, while uh, while we're hanging out here. And, you know, he's talking about Jill St. John. You know, she's like, oh, thank you for using her just her first name and talking to me about her <laughs> but you know <clears throat> how can you not fanboy out in that I mean, you know as a comedian getting the opportunity over the years to hang with <clears throat> you know at the improv I, I you know used to hang with you know Whoopi Goldberg or whoever was who happened to be in in the in the room at the time and they knew who you were and the, you know oh let's do a stand-up special together let's have lunch so okay we then go to Luciella Adobe have lunch with Whoopi Goldberg you know whatever you know we were working on a soundstage next to each other while they were right next to Seinfeld um let me ask you this series you know yeah. yeah you've been with so many people let me ask you what advice would you give a voiceover artist an actor just beginning their career what would you what advice would you give them of the, of the maybe the you know the ups and downs of your career because we've all had them but you've been so successful uh what, what advice would you give like my buddy dave linden the voice of our show what advice would you give dave linden he's very established but he uh he always likes to uh you know hear from uh uh guys like you you know um 
You know, I mean, <clears throat> honestly, you know this, Brad, everything, the, the entire template has changed. I'm not even sure I could, I would know how to approach my own career um, now. I mean, obviously it's about social media. I mean, there's, I always wanted to create my own stuff and there wasn't a platform for it. You go, oh, I want to pitch this. You know, I go to my manager, I go, I want to pitch this. And they'd be like, they'd be like well, you know, without having a showrunner attached, without, you know, somebody established in the business, they don't even want to see it. If you, you know, if you don't have the script represented by an agent, they don't even want to read it because they don't want to get sued if they use it, blah, blah, blah. You know, all these different things. <clears throat> Now there is so many venues for you to do anything you want, you know? <clears throat> yeah. You may not have the money to do it, but it's a lot cheaper to shoot something on an iPhone than, than, than you would have had to shoot back in the day. You would have had to shoot it on film, True. you know, videotape or whatever. It was expensive. You would add a crew. You had to add somebody light it, the whole deal, you know? So honestly, the biggest <clears throat> recommendation I can have now is, Partner up with your mo with the the people you've always loved working with, um, especially young people that you know. As a young person, um, I mean, just about everybody you see on a comedy nowadays, you know, came up through doing everything from Groundlings to Second City to Upright Citizens Brigade, you know, to you know all these different, you know. And I came from a background of improv. Um, as an actor doing improv, not only as a great networking part of the business, especially here in LA or in New York, but, um, or Toronto for that reason, wherever it's still, you know, um, beloved, you know, um, it also, it also made me very comfortable walking into a room and auditioning for people. Right. And you do that so well, your manager I heard was Ruben paid, <laughs> right? Yeah. He had a brightly colored bus, but this irritating <laughs> family that he had along with him, these partridges that he had following yeah, me around all the time, just so irritating because everybody always would like, I'm sorry, you know, uh, it's fine. We'll feed you at lunch for your job, but you can't bring the partridges along. We don't, <laughs> we don't have the budget to feed them as well. You know, <laughs> represented the partridge family is here. It's amazing. You know, both very successful. What would you tell your younger self? What would you tell your younger self? Now you've had an incredible career, decades in the business. What is there anything you would tell your younger self? Uh, believe that you're enough. Definitely. That's the one thing. I mean, I was, I could become anything they asked me to become, but I didn't believe that just me was interesting enough for them to hire. And really so many projects that I auditioned for, they just wanted me. They wanted, you know, that the one thing I really love about young actors these days is the examples that they've had is other from other actors allows them to believe that really them being themselves is as interesting as anything else. And that that's what they're going to get hired to be, you know, um, doesn't necessarily make them versatile and ability to do other things, but um, outside of that, but that doesn't matter. You, you can show those talents later if you get the opportunity for me, because I came up, you know, here I was trying to become a serious actor in New York. And I wanted to be the next Dustin Hoffman or whatever. And the next thing I know I'm winning star search, which isn't something that I even ever thought that I would ever do. 
But knowing that it was an opportunity to get me from street performing and off-Broadway theater in New York to TV series and sitcoms and showing that I could act. I mean, at first people were like, well, you know, he's a stand-up comic. He's not really an actor. So, and then of course I fought for years to try to get people to believe that I was an actor and a stand-up comic. And then they were hiring all the stand-ups to give them their own shows. And they're like, well, you're not really a stand-up. You're an actor playing a stand-up and blah, blah, blah. You know, so it was kind of a, a weird thing that I did. You know, I always thought that I wanted, you know, when it started coming to me that I wanted to be, you know, hugely known and famous and, and, you know, be able to do whatever I wanted. Um, and then realized that, that that's an easy way to get yourself to become a flash in a pan too. You know, it's like, if you can't maintain that, like your entire career, forget it, you're gone. Um, whereas somebody <clears throat> with a career like mine, where you try to call everything that you feel you have the talent to do, um, and, and make opportunities, you know, there was so many different things I had going on at the same time, all the time that it kept me working for the last 44 years as an actor. And, um, you know, but honestly, I would have loved to have landed some of those roles playing myself, uh, when I was younger. And I just didn't, it's not that I didn't know how to do that. I just didn't believe that's what they wanted from me. You know, after winning Star Search and that kind of thing, they go, oh, you're going to be the next Robin Williams. I was like, nobody can be the next Robin Williams. Right. I can be the next John Cassier, but Robin right. Williams is unique unto himself, right. uh, you know, as unique as you can get. And, you know, I'm unique too, but, you know, I interpreted that to mean I'm supposed to come in and bounce off the walls in an audition for something that doesn't require that. Be yourself. Yeah. Like, I... I just got the last part I got before our strike and thank God it's ending. I hope uh, for the actors that did for the writers. Uh, I got curb your enthusiasm. And I told, I went to the self tape, uh, self tape. Uh, uh, my buddy, uh, Steve Richard uh, Harris is the best guy. And I told him, you're going to be Larry David and I'm going to be Jonas, the riffer guy. And I'm going to get this. And I brought myself, Oh my God, look who's back. I brought myself to the role and I got it. And by the way, I thought we killed off Fish. The Crypt Keeper killed this guy off and now he's back. Fish, where you been? Fish? Okay, okay. Yeah, exactly. I, who knows? But I love him. We I threw love, him back. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Like you do with Fish. Of course. John, <laughs> my grandma always said something. And first of all, I want to say something personally to you. I love when people are successful who deserve it. You have oh, a big heart. Thanks. You're a mensch. You're a you're just a, a salt of the earth. And I'm I'm just happy for your success. And I know it will continue. And I'm going to give you a great line from my grandma. Helen Nanny Klein would say, "John Kassir, you should only zeigesund." Okay, so that's how we're going to end this. And do me a favor, John. Could you do me the the, the pleasure of Take us out with the Crypt Keeper. Give me a good Crypt Keeper. Something in the sheets, in the bed. <laughs> Here we go. Be careful what you ask for, kiddies. You may get it. <laughs> John Kassir. Oh, my goodness.
Thank you, John. I love it. You're the best. Oh my God. <laughs> Chucky, those Chucky eyes. Fish, are you? Oh, yeah. Tales from the. Oh, done. John, thank you so much. I love it. My you. pleasure, guys. It's great talking with you. And uh, we'll. <laughs> Fish, are you there? I guess not. Wow, what a show. Number 28 is in the books. I I don't know what to say. Uh, it was one of the best interviews I had. Fish, I love you. What happened? Uh, we got to call Cox Cable. Uh, I just want to thank everybody. I want to thank John Kassir. I want to thank Fish for not uh, coming on the show. I want to thank Dave Linden. He's going to be taking us out. We'll see you next time on show number 29 on Fat Fish Podcast. I'm Brad Grunny. You've Grumber. been listening to the Fat Fish Podcast, heard on all your favorite platforms. Until next time. <laughs> You've been listening to the 